and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. At the time of the new birth, you were born into the family of God. You became a son of God and part of the family of God. And that in itself is all very wonderful. But also at that same time, you were appointed to some very important and honored positions. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, we read, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now actually, there's two very important positions that are mentioned there, ministers and stewards. But it's stewards that we're going to specifically look at this morning. Now, there's not a good equivalent that I'm aware of of what a steward's responsibilities from the Old Old Testament or Bible times would be today. But yet, there are still stewards. And I thought, although not everything in this lines up, that it would be informative to look at what a steward does today. One of the uses of that word, this is from Wikipedia, just about stewards. A steward is an official who is appointed by the legal ruling monarch to represent them in a country and may have a mandate to govern it in their name. In the latter case, synonymous with the position of regent, vice-regent, viceroy, governor, or deputy. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Yes. You know, to be appointed by the ruling monarch of a country to be their steward or governor in a province. When our country started off, the colonies were originally, especially those early ones, just under governors, some of them before they ever had a parliament of their own, any kind of, of you know, legislative body, so to speak. They had a governor that directed all the affairs of that, and they were very responsible. Wouldn't it be quite an honor if you were appointed to be a governor, to be a steward in that way? Yeah. And yet, what we are stewards of is so much bigger and greater than that. Because we're not just appointed to be stewards or governors over the affairs of people in in government, but instead we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And most specifically, and on the top of that, is the mystery of the one body. This body of Christ, this family, and the riches of that mystery and all that's entailed in that You are appointed to be a steward of that. The next verse tells us how we do the job. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. The one great requirement of a steward is that they be found faithful. 
Imagine that governor of a, of a colony, if he was derelict in his duties, imagine if he, you know, just slept in every day till noon, one o'clock, didn't take care of watching over the, the affairs of that, the taking care of the people, the working with, you know, the, the authorities back in, in England. Imagine if they didn't do their job, how well things would go. Imagine all the troubles that could come up if they didn't carry out what they were responsible for. They needed to be faithful, and if they weren't, you can bet that they would have been replaced pretty quickly. Well, we won't be replaced, but if we're not faithful to our stewardship, then people suffer. Then people will suffer. The body of Christ will suffer if the stewards of the mysteries don't take care of it. You can take your Bibles. Now, let me. You can go head to. I'm gonna. Uh, you can head to Genesis 24. I will mention um, before we get there a couple things. <clears throat> One of the great stewards that you find in the Bible was Moses. Moses was appointed as the ruler over God's people when there first was a people to be ruled. When they first got to be big enough that they had to have somebody over them, and then Moses was the first one that did that. And in four different places in God's Word, this same truth about Moses is shared. I'll read it to you from Hebrews 3.5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Moses' house wasn't just, you know, his wife and kids. Moses' house that it's speaking about were all of those children of Israel. And Moses was faithful. Moses was faithful. It talks about Moses being faithful above all else in that responsibility. Faithfulness is such a key. And here again, I'd like to look at some of the modern usage of that word. This is from Random House Dictionary, but I was blessed with how many of these qualities are in line with its biblical usage as well. From that, we find the definition, one, of faithfulness, strict or thorough in the performance of a duty, a faithful worker. Two, true to one's word, promises, values, etc. Three, steady in allegiance or affection. Four, Reliable, trusted, or believed. Five, adhering or true to fact or an original. Six, and this is an obsolete use, full of faith believing. Obsolete meaning that's not the way that that word faithful is primarily used today, but that is more of the emphasis of how it used to be used, like in the time that the King James Version of the Bible was translated. Seven, the body of loyal members of any party or group. Eight, the faithful, the believers, especially of Christianity or Islam. So there's these different uses, and you have these different shades of meaning of how that word is used. And that's true of its biblical usage as well. Depending on the context, you have different nuances, different shades of meaning that come out. 
And at some time, the faithful does refer to the body of believers. Like in Ephesians, where it is addressed to the saints which be at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. But it's not just referring to them as a group, but also bringing in some of those other qualities like loyal and trustworthy and so forth. The one common thread that you will find in its biblical usage is trustworthy. That a person is faithful if they are somebody you can rely on. If there's somebody that really does what they say that they're going to do. Our faithfulness is that. It is to be faithful to what God has called us to as stewards of the mysteries. Well, there was a faithful steward um, in the Old Testament. He worked for Abraham. Now, his name may or may not have been uh, Eleazar. It does mention at the time that God first comes to Abraham, in the first exchange between them, and God says, Abraham, boy, you just have been terrific, and I want to do something to bless you. And Abraham says, well, God, you know, you have blessed me. I've got all this stuff. I've got so much cattle and riches and servants and so on and so forth that, you know, I don't know what else you could do for me, you know, and the only thing I'm lacking is a kid, and I don't have a kid, but I'm, I'm too old. My wife's too old. And the only one I've got in my house is my, my steward, my, my steward, Eleazar. In the Bible, a steward was considered a member of the family unless he actually was already a member of the family. A steward in Bible times was a very honored position. It was a very honored position. If it was a servant, that servant was not a slave. He was a free man. And he didn't receive a salary. He didn't need to because everything in that house was considered his. In fact, he was the one that you know, handed out money to the wife. He was the one that took care of all of their affairs. It wasn't just like every family had a steward. You had to be pretty well off to have one. And that steward managed all the affairs of that estate. And kind of think of a big estate. Think of maybe, you know, you know like a plantation in, in, you know, that antebellum era. Where it was lots going on. If you ever read about George Washington's plantation, man, it's very interesting. He had a fishery. He had, they were completely self-sufficient. It was like your own town kind of thing. The steward would be over everything. All the transaction of the family he would take care of. All the business dealings of the man he would take care of. He wore the signet ring, which gave him the authority. He could sell lands. He could buy things. He managed all the accounts. He was over all these servants. Everything that was important, he took care of. And that was the job of Abraham's servant. And he was like one of the family, but that's not quite the same as having your own child. And, of course, if you know the record, God promises Abraham that he will have a child. And a lot of stuff that goes on after that. But that child is Isaac. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac grows. He becomes a man. 
Now, Abraham was living in the land of Canaan. You go back to where Abraham started off. He started off in, in the land of Chal the Chaldees. And God told him one day, Abraham, get up, leave everything you know, leave your family, leave everything you have, and go where I tell you. And he didn't even tell him. He just said, go. And Abraham went. Amazing. You know, it'd be tough enough now if I said to you, you know, I want you to just go to some city here in America because, yeah, you have a pretty good idea what those places are like. But it's not like, you know, you could just, you know, pull out your, I forget who used to give those things of, you know, best places in the United States to live. And, and you know, oh, let me see this place, Canaan. Oh, yeah. I see. He just had to trust God. And he did. But God had him do that because he knew out of him would come this whole wonderful believer's line. And ultimately, out of him would come the promised seed, the Savior, the Christ. This believer's line was very important because man's redemption was contingent upon it. Man being saved, mankind being saved, was contingent upon that line being preserved. That line being preserved until the time when the Redeemer would be born. And Abraham knew that. Abraham believed the promise. He believed the promise not just that he would have a child, but that child from him would come this promised seed. So the time comes when Isaac, you know, he's getting to that age where he wants a wife. He's looking around at all the girls around, and he's thinking of a wife and kids. And Abraham knows it's really important who he picks, and that it can't be just anybody, because it has to preserve this Christ line. And so he takes his steward, his chief among all the servants, and I say it may or not have been Eliezer, because it never names this guy, and I don't know if Eliezer was still on the job for all the time of Isaac growing up or not, but whoever he was, this now trusted servant, this steward, is given a great job. Verse 1 of, 20, of Genesis 24. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, that's the steward, Put, I pray thee, my hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the neighbors of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, where he came from, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So Abraham makes him swear. You know, nowadays, or used to anyway, the president still does it, they, they put their hand on their Bible. Then they used to put their hand under the guy's thigh for some reason. <laughs> some of you guys are probably thinking, well, I'm kind of glad that changed. <laughs> but he did this to make him promise, to make him swear that he would take a wife, not from the local people, but from amongst the believers. And there weren't a lot of them. He had to send him back to that same land he came from. <coughs> Verse 5. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, perhaps, the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I need 
bring my, thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Suppose I go there and I find a nice girl, one of the relatives, but she doesn't want to come back. Now, should I take Isaac back there? And Abraham said unto him in verse 6, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. No, absolutely not. Don't do that. The Lord God of heaven, verse 7, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give, the, I will give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman be not will, and if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thy my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. He's saying you don't have to worry about how this is going to work out. God's going to prepare the path. God's going to set this up. God's going to have it all worked out so that when you get there, things are just going to fall into place for you. But I'll tell you, just to ease your mind here, you know, if you find this woman and she doesn't want to come back, then fine, you've fulfilled your job, you've done your oath, you've done everything I've asked you to. Verse 9. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and sware to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of the master were in his hand. That was the steward's right. He could do whatever he needed. He could take whatever he wanted to carry out this job. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. Mesopotamia, even if you don't know the Bible, if you know your history, you know that that's the cradle of civilization. And that's where Abraham first came out of. And that's when it says the city of Nahor, Nahor was Abraham's brother's name. Okay, so that's where he's going. He's going to where his brother is still living. Verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city to, by a well of water at the time of the evening. So he gets there even the time that woman came out to draw water. Verse 12. And he, the steward, prays, and he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give my camels to drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for my servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. You know, I don't know how big a city this was. Even today, you know, with the ability to Google and whatnot, if you were sent, if I said to you, okay, I want you to get a, a wife for my kid, which in itself would seem to be a bit much to ask, mm -hmm. but I want you to go back to Cleveland, where I'm from. I, I know that's a lot to ask. <laughs> and, and I want you to find my family, and I, I, I'm just trusting that there is a good, eligible marrying daughter there for my son. Go find her. 
you'd say, you got to be kidding me. How am I, you know how many people are living in Cleveland? What am I supposed to go door to door and just knock on doors and, and say, you know, hey, anybody here related to Abraham and want to marry his son? So the servant, Abraham hasn't told him the specifics of what he's doing here. He's just told him that God is preparing the way. And now this steward is believing God to carry out faithfully what he has been charged to do. And in order to do it, it requires him believing God what to do. So he comes up with this plan. He works out this plan with God where, you know, I'm going to be here and I'm going to ask a, a, some girl who's going to come here and I'm going to ask her to give me a drink. And she's not only going to be glad to give me a drink, but she's also going to be glad to, to give all of my animals a drink. And then I, by that, I'll know that she's the right one and God, you, you carried out what you told Abraham you would. Verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking, before he had even finished that prayer, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcal, the wife of Nahor. So this Rebekah, she's the daughter of Milcal and Nahor, Abraham's brother. So she's Abraham's niece and Isaac's cousin. And yeah, we don't do first cousins now, but they did it all the time then. It was fine. Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. You know, I'm sure that Isaac was thrilled with that part of it. She's a beautiful young girl. She's very beautiful. And a virgin, which simply means she was an unmarried woman. Neither had any man known her. That probably means what you first thought about what virgin meant if you didn't know better. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. Hey, let me have a drink. Now, that part wasn't outrageous. That was the right kind of any traveler to do. And hospitality was a very Eastern custom to show hospitality. So she wouldn't, pretty much anybody wouldn't have refused him a drink. On the other hand, you don't have to show that kind of hospitality where you let all their camels drink as well. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And you notice it's camels, it's plural. It's not just, well, you know, you got one camel, how much can he drink? But it's a, a caravan. That's how they travel. He would have other servants with him. He would have other presents on camels and so forth. And she says, I'll, you know, I'll take care of all of them. Verse 20. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wandering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord has made his journey prosperous or not. You know, he's wondering, eh, okay, I know this is what I said, but is she really the one? Is she really the one? So he doesn't speak up yet. You know, you don't want to scare her off. You don't want to just jump in. Hey, how would you like to marry somebody? Verse 22. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man, the steward, 
took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. Yeah, this, this was nice, you know, nice gift. But this wasn't like to bribe her and, or, or to, you know, pay for what he's about to ask. This is to show that he's not just, you know, some bum that's out there, you know, <laughs> looking to freeload. Verse 23. And he said, Whose daughter art thou, art thou tell me? I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Can I come and stay with you? Now, I know that that would seem really out of, but you would do that for in the East. That would not be as like bizarre as if you were just, you know, ran to somebody in McDonald's and, you know, they asked if you buy them a meal and then come and stay at their place for however long they want to. Verse 24. And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcal, <clears throat> which he bare unto Nahor. She said moreover unto him, verse 25, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. Yeah, come on, we got plenty to eat, plenty for your animals, we got plenty of room, you're welcome to come. Verse 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. You know, this servant was, was probably not actually even, you know, well, he wasn't. I mean, there wasn't like a lot of people to say, well, he was a believer. You know, he was a believer, but he wasn't, you know, of Abraham's line. And yet this man believed God and worshiped God in this way. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left de destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. Anybody ever heard of Laban in another record? Yeah. We run into Laban again. <laughs> because a lot of this seems like it's kind of, you know, deja vu all over again when Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob needs a wife. And again, they've got to go back to Abraham's old hometown and, and find a wife out of his family. And they run into Laban again. Now, you sort of wish, you know, that they had telephones back then so that, you know, Jacob could have picked up the phone and said, hey, I'm here. I, I met, you know, my uncle Laban. And Isaac could have said, oh, yeah, Laban. Let me tell you about Laban. Because <laughs> this Laban, he's, he's quite a shrewd guy here. And Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass when he, Laban, saw the earrings and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels of the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? What are you doing out there? Come on in. Come into the house. For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. You see, I said there were other servants. And the gifts, these are all signs of great welcoming, great hospitality. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told me my errand. And he said, speak on. Skip down to verse 48. So he tells them the whole story here. That's what we're skipping. He just rehearses everything that we just read because he couldn't just say, well, here, read it right there. 
And I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God and my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now, if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. Then I may turn to the right hand or the left. If you're good with this deal, let me know. And if you're not, just say so. Then I'll know whether to stay or go. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, The thing proceeded from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. It's not up to us. This is, this is already God set this up, so we're not the ones to say. Behold, verse 51, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servants heard these words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. But if you continue reading, you'll find that Laban, even though he says go, he tries to get him to stay and, you know, hang out here a bit. But the servant, the steward, he's not buying into this. And that's why I wish that, you know, he could have had a phone call with Jacob, who did buy into it, and it cost him about 14 years of his life. He goes, verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all these things that he had done. And Isaac brought her unto his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It says he loved her. It's the first use of that word in the Bible. But this servant was faithful. He was faithful to what he did. And because he was, it wasn't just he got the job done. He preserved the Christ line so that we could be redeemed. We're going to get more into what it is to be a faithful steward, but first we'll take a quick little break here. Don't. You can go to Matthew 25, and we're going to look now at a parable about a steward, a faithful steward. And again, <clears throat> the one great requirement of a steward is that they be found faithful. There are three parables in the Gospels about stewards, and in each one, it talks about them being faithful. In every one where it talks about a steward, it talks about faithfulness. And we're looking at faithfulness. In Matthew 25, in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his own several or own ability, and straightway took his journey. So he calls his servants, he gives them talents. The one guy, he gets to sing, dance, act, play an instrument. No. Talents are am amounts of money, okay? Amounts of money. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. Good trading, good investing. He, he doubles his profit. Verse 17, And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. One guy just buries it in the backyard. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He wants an account. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and what? Faithful, Faithful servant. 
Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained other two talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of my Lord, thy Lord. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathered where thou hast not straw. And I know that you're just a spendthrift, just spending your money without giving up. Now, I, I doubt that that's a good way to start off anyway, right? You know. Verse 25, and I was afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid. Usually not a good way to approach anything out of fear. And went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord said, answered and said unto him, you know, you're right. I, I do that. It's a good thing you did because who knows, these guys might have not made any money on it. No. He said, thou wicked and slothful servant. He called him lazy and wicked. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty bad. Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not and gather not where I have straw. He's not even arguing that point with him. If you knew that, then you should have done something all the more worked hard. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. You could have at least put it in a good savings account, you know. That would have been something, you know, you wanted a sure bet. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Those that have the wisdom to use wisely what they've been given will gain more, and those that don't will lose what they have. There's a great principle here when it comes to faithfulness of a steward, and that's the principle of use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. The first two, they used what they were given, and they gained more. Not only did they end up gaining more money, but they ultimately gained great responsibilities. But the one guy, he didn't use what he was given, and he lost even what he had. You know, every one of us has certain abilities, certain things that we can do for God. And as we use those, we gain more. We are able to take on greater responsibilities. You know, if you want to serve in great ways in life, then you begin using that. We have talents and abilities in life that we can use for, our, for our, the benefit of our families, ourselves. And as we use those things, we grow in them. Because as you use it, you lose it. No, as you use it, you gain more. If you don't use it, you lose it. But you've got to be faithful to it. Now, I hear tell, I'm sure that this wouldn't be true of anybody in this room, but I hear tell that there are people that have started a diet or started an exercise plan and then didn't stay faithful to it. Um, do they have the right to expect any results from that? No. No, no. Because if you're not faithful 
If you're not faithful, then you don't get results. And you can't just give up. You know, if I, if I start a, you know, we'll say a diet. I'll say that because I'm actually started a diet. And now you'll look at me next month and we'll see how faithful he was. <laughs> you know, if in a week I say, well, the scale's not getting any better. You know, I'm not, ah, this isn't working. I give up. Okay. Is it really the diet's fault or is it my fault that I wasn't faithful? my fault that I wasn't faithful. Unless I've got that diet where I say, well, you know, there's that diet where you eat lots of carbs but no protein, and there's that diet they eat lots of protein and no carbs. I'll double the results by doing both at the same time. <laughs> Unless I get some really wacky diet, if I stay with it and I'm faithful, I'm going to get results. But it's a matter of being faithful. It's true of all of life. It's true in any area. You've got to stay with it. And it's true when it comes to the spiritual things in life. And those are the greater riches. When it comes to the spiritual, we have to be faithful. You know, God wants us, and this principle applies in every category, and God wants us to be our best physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I won't get into, you know, a lot of, <laughs> of each one of those categories. But with all of them, we have to be faithful. If I'm not faithful, if I want to improve my mental attitude in life, if I want to believe, if I want to renew my mind, I've got to be faithful. I can't just do it for a day and think that the job's going to get done. I'm not going to see great changes in myself and my outlook and my, all that stuff unless day after day I'm faithful to do the things that I need to mentally. If I'm not faithful to read God's Word, if I'm not faithful to put it on, to confess those positives, to picture the positives, to do the things that I need to to help grow in my walk with God, if I'm not faithful day after day, I won't see the results. No more so than the guy who gives up on a diet or cheats on it every other day. I've got to be faithful day after day after day. Spiritually, Spiritually, you want to grow spiritually and in that category. When I'm faithful to speak in tongues, and every day I just do it, I get more and more fluent at it. But if I get talked out of it the second day, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing this or not. You know what? Keep doing it, and you'll convince yourself. That's the way it works. Keep doing it. Be faithful. Be faithful, and you'll know. You'll know. Same way with interpretation of tongues, prophecy. Dylan and I were talking about this the other day. <clears throat> you know, I remember sitting in believers meetings 30, 40 years ago. We'll go 40 years ago. <laughs> and I'd be in a group, you know, and the people manifesting, you know, they were doing it. But they hadn't really grown in their believing with it. So, you know, you heard a lot of the same kind of messages, a lot of the same sort of thing. You sit in a meeting with those same people today after they've been doing it for 40 years and being faithful to it, and you go, wow. Yeah, no question that's from God right to the people here. No question. Because they were faithful. They were faithful. Well, we'll look at another one in Luke chapter 16, another one of these parables about faithful stewards. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. There we go, the steward. And the same was accused unto him, the steward, that he had wasted his goods. Some other jealous servants came and said, You know what? That guy's not doing his job. He's stealing from you. He's, he's wasting all your stuff. Verse 2. And he, the master, called him, the steward, and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. 
For thou mayest be no longer steward. We're going to do an audit here. Bring me the books. I'm going to look at everything. Verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? Holy smokes! For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. You know, I got no other job I can do here. I, I'm too old, too weak, too lazy, whatever to dig. And we won't say lazy because he wouldn't be a good steward if that was the case. And, you know, I, I'd be ashamed to go out there and beg. I got to figure out something here. Verse 4. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. <laughs> now, he's not cheating here. This was all within the authority of the steward to do. Okay? He could say, Okay, you're not able to pay. Let's just figure out. You haven't paid for a long time. You're not able to pay. Let's figure out what you, what you can pay. We'll just give you a hand, write down half. And that was all within his authority to do that. He could have just wiped off the debts if he wanted to. That was also in his authority. Verse 7. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. We'll cut it down by 20%. And the Lord commended... Uh, did I get that? Verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, allegedly unjust, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And read that in other translations. I, I didn't write one down, but basically it means the children of, of this of the light are wiser in dealing with the other people in the world than the children of this generation are wiser in dealing with their own than the children of light are, is what the other translations communicate that as. And I say unto thee, verse 9, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting hab habitations. Verse 10, here's the point. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another's man's, who will give unto you that which is, in, is your own? Faithful in the least enables you to be faithful in that which is much. <clears throat> and the least is in the material, physical realm, and the much is in the spiritual categories of life. But faithfulness in small things builds that ability to be faithful in greater things. <clears throat> The first time I really worked on the, this principle, I was in college at the time, um, and I was, when it came to the Word of God, boy, I was really disciplined. When it came to everything else in life, not so much. And if you had, the first year I was at college at Kent State, if you'd come into the apartment the day we moved in or the day we moved out, you'd know that the carpet was green. If you didn't, you'd probably had no idea what color it was. <laughs> You know, it looks like shirts and pants. Because I just threw everything, dishes, they'd pile up into the sink so bad that finally some other believer would have mercy on me and they'd wash the dishes for me. It was just terrible. It was disgraceful. It was disgraceful. But yeah, that's, that's kind of who I was by nature. 
And then my second year there, I decided yeah, I need to make some changes. And when I looked at like, you know, trying to, oh my gosh, wash dishes and pick up clothes and, you know, vacuum, you know, all that kind of thing, that was just way too much of my little mind. So I decided, well, what can I do? What, what, what am I willing to do faithfully? And I decided, well, I could hang up my clothes at night faithfully. That, I, mean, I, I timed it. It was less than 30 seconds. I can do that. And then when I was faithful to do that, pretty soon I actually had the energy, ability, and discipline to do more. Before you knew it, I actually even liked washing dishes, believe it or not. Um, I grew. I grew. And the way you do it is by using so you don't lose it and being faithful in little things. As you're faithful, you increase in that faithfulness, whatever you're talking about. And everything carries over. Dr. Earl often would say, I could work with a man for one hour out doing chopping wood, working in the woods, and I could tell you just how he's going to handle the Word of God. And you know what? I heard that statement 40 years ago, and I watched a lot of those guys that I was working with and saw how they worked and saw how they handled the Word over the next 40 years, and he was right. He was right. Because things carry over. Things carry over. You know, I grew in that, you know. The kids have left, pardon the expression, but I couldn't do a half-assed job now if I wanted to. And there's some times where I feel like I really would like to. You know, I'd like to walk away and say, well, that was good enough. <laughs> but I can't. I just, uh, I just can't do it. I just can't do it because I built that habit in my mind. I built it. And praise God I did because when I come to God's Word, I, I'm not lazy there. I'm not lazy there. If I don't know, I don't guess. And I, and I, and I dig deep enough to find it as, to the best of my ability. That's the principle. That's the principle. You know, we are stewards over what God has given us. And that's true of the small things as well as the big things. And you can think that, well... Okay, like I thought, my first year at Kent, you know, well, I'll take care of the big things, but, well, stuff, who cares? But it bleeds over. It does bleed over, whether you realize it or not. So you want to be good stewards in every category of life, knowing that as you do that, then you build that faithfulness. We've got a third one to go to, and that's in Luke chapter 12. This third, and there are only three, parables about stewards, and they all are faithful. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Verse 36, Luke 12. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. In other words, when the, when the master's been gone, he traveled out of town to go to a wedding, and he comes home, and he knocks on the door. They're not saying, oh my gosh, the master's home. We better quick get the place in shape. They're ready for him. Blessed are these servants, those servants, verse 37, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. They were ready. They were watching. They were prepared for him. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. He'll be so happy with how they watched and how they were ready that he's going to walk in the door and rather than say, okay, what do you got for me to eat? 
He's going to feed them. He's going to take care of them because he's so happy with them. Verse 38. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch, even when he gets home in the middle of the night, and find them, so blessed are those servants. And this he know, that if the goodman of the house had known, the goodman, the guy watching over everything, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and have not suffered his house to be broken through. A while back, there's some commercials like that, you know, where the, I remember some insurance company and their whole thing was like, the guys call so often, you know, okay, I'm going to come over in a little while and break into your house and steal all your stuff. And the whole commercial was like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they did that, but they won't. <laughs> so you need insurance. Well, you need the insurance of watching in this case. That if the guy knew somebody was going to break in, he would have been, you know, he wouldn't have been asleep on duty. Verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not. Verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And he never directly answers him. He just kind of goes on to make it known that this is for anyone. Of a truth. Where did I leave off? What now? 42, thanks. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward? Who is that faithful one, that wise one, whom the Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. That servant that's watching, he's the guy that's going to be made steward over everything. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint his portion with the unbelievers. So, if the guy's not watching, and instead he decides he's, he's just going to do whatever he wants, and for some reason that means beating the servants... <laughs> This is not a good steward that beats the servants, okay? If he's doing that kind of stuff, well, then a worse fate's going to happen to him. Verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. So if you got one servant that knows what he's really supposed to do and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do and instead beats the other servants. He's going to get a lot of stripes. If the guy didn't know any better but beat the servants, I guess he'll just get a few stripes. <laughs> Hopefully those other servants will be the ones who get to do it for him, right? And now here's the real point of a parable. And parables are all to make a point, okay? Not everything in a parable is like you can take this and do that. It's to get to the end point. A parable is, is an extended simile. Figure of speech. <clears throat> Here's the point. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. To whom much is given, much is required. Spider-Man knew that, right? <laughs> We've been given so much. The more you're given, the, the, the higher the standard you're held to. The higher the standard you're held to. You know, the fellow that's made a governor over a colony, 
He's been given much. And he's got a much higher standard that he's being held to than the fellow that was to do the bookkeeping or the fellow that was to take care of the, you know, animals. The greater the responsibility, the greater the greater the privilege, the greater the job, the greater the responsibility. How much have we been given? How much have we been given? We're given the accurate knowledge of God's Word, you know? And all of us, no matter what you've done since the time you first got it, all of us owe that to the work of other people and to God's just blessing on our lives. You know, if I had to start from, if you, if you go back to, you know, Pat in 1972 and say, okay, you just prayed and you asked God to help you. Here's a Bible. Figure it out. You know, I'd still be having a hard time with those verily verilies that I put down the Bible the first time I opened it. But I've been given so much. I've been, I've been so privileged, so blessed to know God's Word, and, and I'm responsible to do something with it, to not just bury it in the backyard. I can't just bury my knowledge in the backyard. I've got to do something with it. We are stewards of the mysteries, and the more you know what that means, you know, and by the way, you know, now's the time to get out if you don't, you know, want to take this responsibility, because you don't know too much yet, so you're on it. But you'll miss out on all the things you'd be given, right? Stewards of the mysteries. The greater you understand that, and the more you understand what that really means and what your responsibility is with that, then the greater responsibility to carry it forth. The greater the responsibility to carry it forth. God's given us so much. And all he asks is that we be faithful. Just be faithful to the best of your ability. And you know what? I understand, and God understands, that sometimes in life, you know, you're put in places and situations where you may have done your best in that situation, and maybe, you know, you wish you could have done a little better, but that's okay. You can't change where you've been, you can change where you're going. You can change where you're going. Each of us has that ability. And we grow in it. We grow in it. We grow by just being faithful. What can I be faithful to do today? You know, I know I, I should get up in the morning and I should read my Bible for this long and I should pray for that long and I should do this, 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 and this. But you know, that for some people could still be at the, you know, well, you got to do the dishes and you got to pick up the clothes and you got to vent. What can you be faithful to do? What can you be faithful? Do it and grow in your faithfulness. And as we do, then we can look forward to that day when we stand before the Master and he says, well done, thou good and faithful steward. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.